the marriage relationship that can affect normal, healthy sexual expression. And so, of course, this is a very difficult topic for many people. It's uncomfortable. In fact, there are people here right now, you can't believe I'm talking about this on a Sunday morning. And that is why I'm talking about it. Right? If we're, you know, people were very excited. I said, we're going to, principles for a healthy marriage. Like, oh, thank God. Right? And then I announced this subject. You go, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if you realize this, but they're connected, these two subjects. So, we don't want to talk about it. Uh, many times we don't even want to admit it, especially if we're talking about dysfunction. We, we just don't like to admit that. I've pastored a lot of people for a long time in many different scenarios, and it is exceedingly rare that people will be honest about this subject. Of course, it's embarrassment is one reason. These things are sensitive, right? It's very difficult to talk about uh, with your spouse, let alone anyone else. That's why I'm doing it for you, right? I'm just, I'll take all the embarrassment. You don't even, you don't even have to worry about it. Another reason that we don't ever discuss this is pride. For many people, of course, this would be disproportionately for men, but for most people, sex is deeply connected to your self-image, to your self-respect, your dignity, your sense of self. And so it's very difficult uh, to admit any kind of dysfunction. You feel like you're less of a person. And then, of course, taboo. I understand many cultures are taught. You don't talk about this. You don't even discuss this. In families, uh, these topics are taboo. The thing that shocked me, one of the things that shocked me about being a pastor was how often my wife had to tell young girls things that their mom should have told them, right? And these are Christian moms. They're in the church, right? And, you know, when a young girl comes of age, right, and, uh, and, and suddenly there's this crisis. Her mother has never told her anything. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's like we don't talk about any of this. And unfortunately for some people, no matter how bad, no matter how desperately they want help, they will simply never ask for it because the taboo or the embarrassment or the pride, whatever it is, it's just too strong. And so they never get help. So if we're going to talk about sexual dysfunction, let's define that. In marriage, if we're going to define from a biblical standpoint what sexual dysfunction is or looks like, uh, I want to consider three of these. There's many, but I want to consider the three that I deal with most commonly. So within a marriage, the most common uh, dysfunction would be a lack of sex. Probably the most commonly mentioned, at least, uh, in a marriage or marriage counseling. Now, of course, this can be defined any number of ways. Uh, and in reality, it just depends on uh, who's counting. That's how we define uh, lack of sex, right? It, 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 because it varies. It may be, I have counseled marriages, that it is literally a complete lack. I've talked to people, they will say it's been months or years without any kind of uh, sexual interaction. Uh, maybe it's that it's very infrequent. Most often, it's because of imbalanced expectations. In a marriage, you have two people that are different. They have different ideas and different expectations. And because of that, 
Very often, you will find one spouse believes that there is uh, a lack of sex. But what's interesting, when you look at our text, is that it's talking about giving the spouse the rights. It says the husband does not have rights over his own body, but his wife does. And likewise, the wife doesn't have the right, but the husband does. It's interesting, uh, if you take the time, uh, as I have, to examine, you know, over the years, if I, as I've counseled marriages, talked to people, if you ever find spouses that do this, what the Bible says, you give the spouse the right, you will never find a complaint that sex is lacking. So here's the first dysfunction, and of course, along with it is the biblical principle. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but listen... You will never find in a marriage where either spouse believes there is a lack of sexual frequency if they are obeying what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 to 5. So this is the first dysfunction. The second dysfunction that we see commonly is selfish sex. In other words, this is when one spouse exalts their own wants needs or desires over the other to their exclusion. That is a dysfunction. And this can come in all different uh, types. But often we see that it's a twisting of our text, right? Our scripture is very balanced. It says uh, that neither the husband nor the wife has authority over their own body, but the spouse does. It's a mutual trading of authority. But what you do find sometimes, unfortunately, is that people will take this scripture and they only apply one side of it. And usually it's men. You find men, they apply this, listen, don't you ever deny me, right? Because you don't have authority, I do, right? And this becomes a very selfish interaction. Of course, never acknowledging the fact that the Bible says the same thing for both spouses. So this becomes selfish, right? Uh, I've, I've counseled marriages where one spouse will claim this scripture and then say, well, if there's any hesitance, right? If ever someone says, I don't feel good or I'm tired, well, but the Bible says you shall not deny, right? Well, that's, that's very selfish and that's stupid if you, if you want my honest opinion, right? But what this is, it's a claiming of my own rights to the exclusion of someone else's. Spouses will claim, but I just need, and they refuse to listen to anything else. Okay, yes, the Bible says that our spouse has authority over our body, but the Bible also says, oh, we hate it when I say stuff like that, don't we? The Bible also says, the Bible also says, dwell with your spouse with understanding, right? So it's more than claiming you're right. It's about having wisdom about it. Don't be selfish. That is false, right? Uh, also, uh, something that needs to be addressed is that what is very common in Christian circles and even in Christian writing, if you read Christian books about marriage or about sexuality, one thing you will encounter very commonly that is false, it is absolutely false, you will find the idea that if a husband sins, right, if he goes in, gets involved in pornography or adultery, that actually it's probably the wife's fault because she wasn't 
making herself available to him. I want to tell you, that is a wicked lie from hell. It doesn't matter how many Christian authors say it, that is wrong. I am in charge of my righteousness, not my wife. Now, yes, the Bible does say that there should be healthy sexual function, but the lack of healthy sexual function is not an excuse for sin. That is, that is a, a stand of uh, incredible selfishness. So, of course, selfishness can flow both ways, right? We see also that sometimes selfishness is manifested by an unwillingness to communicate about sex and a lack of a desire to excel or try to please your spouse. So this is the second dysfunction is selfish sex. And then the third dysfunction that I think is worth mentioning uh, this morning is bargaining sex. You know, it's dangerous because this is very common. Uh, I have... I've seen this countless times in marriages that I've counseled or marriages that really needed counsel but refused to get it, is this, is, is bargaining sex. And, and it's dangerous because so many Christians don't see how deadly this is. They don't, they're not thinking down the road. They're not doing the math on this. It can actually seem innocent. Genesis 38, verse 18. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, dramatically oversimplify the story. Bible scholars know it's much bigger than this, but just allow me for a moment. This is a man bargaining with a woman about having sex. And it came down to this. Well, what will you give me? Right, which sounds familiar to some of you. Right? Even in marriages. Well, yeah, but I want a new phone. Right? Or, or whatever it is. Right? Will you watch the kids tomorrow? Right? And so they're bargaining about something. But you need to see what happens here. In the transfer, a shift happens. It says he gave uh, his signet and cord and staff. This man, in his position, those were the markers of his authority. Listen very carefully. When there is bargaining sex, the marriage always gets out of balance. Have you ever driven in your car and one of the wheels is out of balance, right? And it starts shaking, right? It's shaking like you've got a better stereo than you really do, right? Listen, when things are out of balance, they will eventually become damaged. That is the unavoidable end result of bargaining sex. It always has to do with authority and control. It is essentially saying, I will give you this if you will do that. Or I will do this if you will give me that. And again, within the marriage, some people believe that it is innocent, but it is not. Over time, this will create a monster in your marriage that is very hard to slay, very hard to get free from. Two things that will inevitably happen with time. One is you'll find that one spouse will grow to resent the other spouse. In other words, why do you only say yes to me if you want something? That will create resentment. That, that's not, that is not healthy, right? 
uh, that, that, is, that is an imbalance in the home. And then, of course, the other spouse will grow to despise the other. It's the idea, you are just a puppet that I can control. So this is uh, bargaining sex. These are some of the dysfunctions. But I understand there, there's much more than that. Like I said a few minutes ago, we're talking about principles, right? And our principle this morning is that sexual health is marriage health. So if there is sexual dysfunction in a home, consider how this will affect you, your marriage, and your home, right? Your marriage, as I've said in each lesson, it is the seat or it is the center of your potential happiness. It's where your ministry comes from. This is where peace in the home comes from. This is where your parenting comes from. Everything is connected to your marriage. If it is dysfunctional, it's going to affect all of life. I understand this morning we're talking about only one aspect of it, but it's still true. If there is sexual dysfunction in your marriage, I promise you it will affect all of your life or it already has affected all of your life. Right? Think about this from a very practical uh, standpoint. When you feel respected, when you feel loved, when you feel desired, and when you are satisfied in your marriage, anything in life is survivable. Anything. Right? Pastor, do you mean anything? I mean anything. If you can check those boxes, if your spouse loves you, if they respect you, if they desire you, and if they satisfy you, tomorrow you could show up at work and your boss could say, hey, guess what? You don't work here anymore. Okay, I'll find another job. No worries. But I know what I have at home. The roof could leak. The dinner could be cold. It really doesn't matter. Right? Because... If you've got those things, if you can check those boxes in your marriage, nothing else really matters. Life is good and life is happy. Let me prove myself right. I don't need to because I am right, but I will prove myself right. Let's, let's turn it the other way. What if you have everything, but you don't feel loved or respected or desired or satisfied? There's some people, well, listen, if I was just a millionaire, if I just lived on the hill, right? If I had really, really, do you really believe that? How foolish can you be? Why is it a miracle if a celebrity stays married 10 years? Right? I mean, we talk about that, right? It'll probably, be, you won't believe it. It's like they're old, they've been married five years. <gasps> and everyone goes, oh, five years. Because it's a miracle. Because, listen, it doesn't matter what you have. You can have all the money. You can have all the cars. You can have the nicest house. You can have access to the greatest clubs. But if you don't have someone at home that loves you, respects you, that wants you, and that satisfies you, it doesn't matter. All the money in the world won't make you happy. I could go on and talk about celebrity suicides. Listen, the things out there really don't matter. 
But if you have these things, if you have a satisfying marriage, really, it doesn't matter what happens in the rest of your life. That is why I am teaching this lesson. There is a dangerous idea in Christianity. I, I, I wrestled with this. You know, I was going to announce last week that I was going to teach this lesson. But I didn't because I, I know something about Christians. And that is that if you know I'm going to talk about sex, right, there's people that won't show up. There's people that will find an excuse. There's people that will tune me out. They'll, they'll volunteer for nursery. Because there are Christians that really believe that talking about this is, is like less. Well, last week, that was an anointed sermon. You're talking about the kids, right? Next week, I'm going to talk about money. Well, that's a good one. We need to talk about But why would you? This doesn't matter. Right? Let us figure that out on our own when nobody's looking and I don't have to blush. Because, Pastor, you're really embarrassing me. Some Christians really feel this is less of a subject. But... As I say at the potter's house, we encourage you to read your Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that this is a preeminent issue in marriage. Then there are Christians that you'll agree with me. Okay, yes, pastor, you're right. But you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to work on every other part of my marriage. I'm going to work on my communication. We're going to get our finances in order. We're going to raise our kids right. But... I'm not going to work on this area. It just is what it is, and oh well, that's just it. You'd be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't be shocked. Actually, you probably wouldn't. How often when I counsel marriages, they are stunned by the idea that you should work on this. We have this weird idea as humans, and the, and the world has given it to us, and that is that, you know, you just know how to have sex, and then that's it, and you got it. You know everything. You don't. I promise you, you don't. Pastor Heimer, don't you know when I was in high school, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, 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 bro, trust me. Trust me. There's so much you don't know. But you could know. You could be better. In every possible, but we won't. We won't work on it. I've challenged couples. Why don't you take this book, study it together? It'll be fun, I promise. No, Pastor Heimer, that's not very spiritual, you know. I'm sorry, I don't get that. Right? I, I used to work for a company called Arizona Telephone Technology. Uh, Gary Riley was my boss. He's a great man. He's still in the Prescott Church. And when he hired me, I had a, a base wage. But then he showed me a bunch of books. These were all uh, study guides for the various equipment that we serviced. And he said, listen, if you will study these books, you can go online and there's like a, a test you can take. Every time you get certified on a new piece of equipment, I'll give you a raise. I didn't have to do extra work. I just had to get the certificate. It was free money. Free money. You like that sound of that, don't you? Free money. You don't even have to speak English, right? And you know free money. It's free, right? Can I tell you, I read every one of those books. I took the test. I got all the free money I could. If you are married, can I tell you what the free money is? Improve your sex life. And by improve, I don't mean tell your spouse... Well, you know what you need to do? I mean, improve. Sorry, this isn't in my notes. I'm just throwing this. It's free. 
Listen, if you adopt the idea that you can get the rest of your marriage right, but not work on your sex life, listen, that's not going to work long term. This is integral to your marriage. Uh, David Servant is an author. He wrote, it is imperative that you see sex not as an event unrelated to everyday married life, but as a component of continual love that is expressed in manifold ways. I think that is very wise. Okay, let's talk then about principles of sexual health. I want to give you three principles of sexual health. Number one, service is the overriding principle. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Nowhere in the scripture, and listen, I, I get invited to preach on marriage a lot. I, I, I preach, as you've noticed, I talk about marriage a lot. And so I've studied the Bible about marriage and sexuality a lot. Nowhere in the scripture do you find where it is commanded or where it is approved of that sexual pleasure should be taken. It should always be given. Let the husband render to his wife the affection and the wife to her husband the affection. Now, we have to see this in balance. It's a two-way street of mutual and equal affection being rendered. That word render, uh, in English, it's to give or to surrender. The Greek word that we get uh, from Ophelio is to owe or be indebted. It's the implication that we owe affection to our spouse. Now, what's interesting is when I say that, there's people going, yeah, that's right. She does owe me affection. No, no, you're not hearing me. That's not how debt works. You owe affection to your spouse, to your wife, to your husband. That's, and, and the word affection means literally physical affection. Now, this brings us all the way back to our first lesson. Now, this is, this is a mean question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of you remember our first lesson? See what I mean by it's mean? Sometimes I, I wonder, I scratch my head, I think, should I even teach? Do they remember? No, I trust that it's in there somewhere. Anyway, our first lesson, uh, our first principle for a healthy marriage is that a servant's spirit is the key to happiness. And that's true in every arena of marriage, including this one. Serving your spouse is the beginning of of happiness. So what does this mean in a practical way when we are talking about uh, sexual health? Uh, without going in depth, I'll just give you a few practical things. Number one is that you should be focused on your spouse's satisfaction, pleasure, wants, and needs. That is what it should look like. You give effort, give attention, give labor, to your spouse's satisfaction. Let me give you a very practical truth about life. If both spouses try to please each other, you will both succeed. I promise you. I promise you. I, I guarantee you. In fact, I dare you to prove me wrong. 
If you both work to make each other happy, you will both succeed. However, if you do what most people do, if you work to make yourself happy, inevitably one of you will always fall short, and most of the time, both of you. And that's what many people, they experience in marriage. They try to make themselves happy, and maybe occasionally it happens. This doesn't work. So this is principle number one. Service is the overriding principle. Number two, communication is crucial. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Okay, this is in the same context. He's talking about physical affection that you owe your spouse. Then he says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Now, if you read the whole scripture, uh, it actually sounds like he's talking about uh, fasting because he, he, the, way he, the way he phrases it, I want to encourage all of you married people, that is not what he's saying. He's not saying that you can't have sex when you're fasting. Thank the Lord Jesus. We already have to give up food, all right? I mean, come on. And I believe that God is a loving God. Amen. I, I, you know what I, I enjoy? I enjoy this great feeling of discomfort we have sometimes when I teach. People are like, what on earth is what does this scripture actually say? He's using the word consent. This word implies a collaborative discussion where you come to a mutual conclusion. Or in other words, it's talking about communication. It's talking about talking about sex with your spouse. Not just complaint. It's talking about discussing things. And he throws out an example. He says, maybe you will agree to uh, withhold or to abstain for a period of time if you wanted to. That's an example that he's giving. But what he's saying is you can discuss these things in the home. A husband and a wife ought to be able to talk about this. You can discuss needs or concerns and come to an agreement. What is shocking to me is how profoundly rare it is that married couples talk about sex. How sparsely it is. In fact, for most married couples in the world, communication about sex revolves around this, asking for it, saying yes or no, and complaining about it. That's really the sum total of it. it it's never discussed in almost any other terms. And I've taught like this in many different places, and I've asked people, uh, I won't do it here because this is mixed company, right? But I've, and, and that is universal, even in Christian homes. This is the answer. Well, but why would we talk about it? Why not? Right? Obviously, not when the kids are around. Right? That's just wise. It's shocking to me. This incredibly crucial part of your life, and you never talk about it, never discuss it in any meaningful way. You know, now let me just throw this out. This isn't in my notes, but let me just help you out for a moment. There's some parents here. I'm going to set you free. You ready? You ready to be delivered? There's parents in here, and either you're thinking one of two thoughts. You're thinking, I'm so glad my kids are in Sunday school. Or, oh my gosh, I wish my kids were in Sunday school. Because the thought of your kids knowing that you think about sex is 
can I let you in on a secret? Your kids know. And they know that you have sex. Or at least you did, because they exist. So, so just forget that. Forget the idea that, what am I, my God, they gonna... It, it's okay, let just... Can we just... We all on the same page now? <laughs> so, that being said, why won't you and your spouse talk about it? Because this is the second principle. Communication is crucial. The Song of Solomon is a fascinating book for many reasons. Don't worry, we're not going to quote any scriptures here. Some of you are about to just run out. Possibly what fascinates me most about that book, at least at the present moment, is that it's a tale of two people who are talking about sex. And they're not awkward about it. They're talking about it in glowing terms. They're giving it, you know, five stars. They're, they're excited. They're talking about it. And it was okay that people knew they were talking about it. They weren't embarrassed or ashamed. They were clearly and passionately talking about sex. Listen, let me give you some tips. The more that you and your spouse communicate about sex, the more joy you'll get from it. Because understanding always leads to success and fulfillment. The point of communication is understanding. It's not a dirty or a salacious thing, but you're getting to know them. Get to know their wants and their needs and their desires, maybe their fears. You'll be shocked at how much you can learn about them. The third principle I want to give you, the third principle of sexual health is that patience and care are key to long-term happiness. Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Now, you need to understand what he's implying here. He talks about the wife of your youth, but then he's talking about the picture of long time, always being enraptured. It's the picture of long-term happiness, that you could be happy, just as happy or happier many years down the road in your marriage as you were on the day you were married. It's the picture of care for one another over the long course of time or long-term love. Listen, the reality of marriage is that we are always changing. We're changing emotionally. We are changing physically. We are changing spiritually. We are changing sexually. Your life is going to change. It's going to evolve forever. That is why you need to be patient. You need to be uh, uh, considerate uh, and care for your spouse over time. The crucial skill for every married person is to constantly be learning how to care for each other and to serve one another uh, in each stage of life, right? You're going to discover some needs are going to become easier to meet. Some needs are going to become more difficult to meet. Some needs are going to go away completely. 
There's going to be other needs that crop up. They're brand new. This wasn't ever there before. But listen, patience and care is key to long-term happiness. In other words, patience is the key personal trait that will enable you to keep on caring for and serving your spouse over the long course of time. All right, let's talk finally about God's help and healing And then if we have time and there are some brave souls, we'll open for questions. Amen. God's help and healing. Something that is crucial. We're talking about marriage this morning. You should never forget that the message of the gospel is always about restoration and healing. How many of you believe that this morning? Right? Eight, nine, ten of you. Okay, good. Some of you are like, finally, he said one thing I can agree with this morning. The gospel is about restoration. So let me encourage you. Number one, Jesus can heal what is broken inside of you. This morning I'm talking about sexual health. There are many people here that you've experienced brokenness in this area. Maybe from your past, before you were married, before you were saved. Right, There is an an extreme brokenness or things that are wrong or misaligned in your home or in your marriage or in your own self. There's others, you've experienced brokenness in your marriage. There are things that they're not right, they don't function right. And maybe as I'm talking this morning or even this whole series, it's like like a, a raw nerve of something that's broken that's being exposed In you, listen, whatever has been hurt, God can heal. And if that's not true, then he's not God. And if he's not God, why are you here? You are wasting your time. Listen, God can heal what's broken in you. He can heal what's messed up on the inside. He can take uh, whatever twisted things from your past that you think make you unqualified for a happy marriage and God can heal them. God can transform you from the inside out. He can restore and bring healing to any part of your life, including your marriage. There is no marriage that can't be healed by God. And there's no part of your marriage that can't be healed by God. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, be a child? Right. Here is is a perfect picture. Um, Abraham is asking a really good question. Can we agree? Can we all come to an agreement on that? God says you're going to have a baby, right? He's 100, she's 90. And he's like, God... Um, are you speaking like metaphorically, you know, like we will be fruitful? I'll go on outreach and win some souls. Is that what you mean? That's a really good question, right? To the point he laughs, right? And, and then it's funny because in, in the long story, in one passage, right, Sarah rejoices and says, they will all laugh with me because it's so ridiculous what God did. There's people in here, I'm talking about, Sexual health in your marriage, and you'd think, oh, Pastor Heinberg, nice study, but you're late. 
Yeah, you know, if, if I would have heard this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe. But it's been way too long. We are way too, I'm sorry. Then you haven't met my God. The one that could give a child to a 100-year-old man with a 90-year-old wife. Listen, there is nothing in your marriage that is so broken that God can't heal it. Not a single one. So that's number one. Jesus can heal what is broken inside of you. And then number two is that God can make you into something that you were not before. This is important. I've, I've preached many marriage seminars or marriage retreats uh, in various places around the world. And what's interesting to me is often people who don't go, right? I'll, I'll talk to people that I know. You know, I used to, uh, several years, I preached marriage seminars in Prescott. And so I know many of the people in Prescott. And so uh, there were couples that didn't go. And I would ask them, hey, I'm curious. You didn't go to the marriage seminar, right? Is it because it's me and you know me or what? And I, I had more than one couple tell me, you know what? No, we, we're totally, we think it's great that the church does these things, but you know, we're just not like that, you know. That's just not for us. We're not that kind of people. So, okay, first of all, are you insane? Okay, no, I take that back. That's not first of all. <laughs> yes, it is first of all, right? You're not that kind of people. Second of all, don't you want to be? But most importantly, since when in your Christianity is it okay to say, oh, Pastor Heimberg, but I'm just not like that. Yeah. Like if I preach a sermon on prayer. Oh, that was a great sermon on prayer. You know, I'm just not a praying kind of a person, but for all the people who are, that was probably a good sermon for them. No, you missed the point. You ought to be a praying kind of person. Right? Hello? Right? People, you're nodding, but you don't like where I'm going with this. Right? Here I'm talking about sexual health and life and vibrance in your marriage. And you're thinking, that's nice, you know, for, you know, those kids, right? Those young married couples. But we're just not. No. I'm sorry. That's not biblical. We don't get the right to opt out of biblical teaching and say, but we're just not like that. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Sorry, I caught Mike off guard. He's like listening. <laughs> oh, I've got to read. Oh. <laughs> if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Pastor Heimberg, our marriage just isn't like that. I know. But Jesus said it can be a new one. But my personality her personality, his personality. We're just, yeah, but you can be a new type of person. Listen, God designed your marriage to be enjoyable, to be exciting, to be fulfilling. If that is not your experience, you need to go to God for a miracle, right? We teach this about all of life. You've heard me say this before, right? Look, take your experience, look in the Bible, and is your experience the same as what the Bible says? And if it is, good. If it's not, then you need to change. Or you need to have God change you, 
right? If you're living in total financial lack and poverty. But then you read where David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. We can say, wait a minute, my situation doesn't line up with what God said. So I'm going to find out from God's word how to fix my situation. If God said that your marriage can really be happy, it can be fulfilling in every possible manner, both the spiritual, uh, the emotional, and the physical. If that's what the Bible says, but you don't experience that, then go to the Bible and find out how to fix your situation. And the final principle for today worth remembering that I will leave you with, and that is that God loves your marriage and he wants to help you. He really does. He really wants to help you. There are people here this morning and you have personally harmed your marriage. You've done things, right? Join the club. We have all done things that are harmful, foolish, dangerous, right? But for some of you, you feel that that has disqualified you. It's almost like, yeah, you know what? I, I don't think that they're really, you know, God really could let me be happy again because I messed up so much. Listen, that is absolutely incorrect. God loves your marriage and he wants to help you. Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created marriage. This was the, the crowning touch of creation, was marriage. And it says that God loved it. God said it is good. And then he gave dominion. Think about what it says. He gave them dominion over all the earth. That means dominion over this life and all the assaults in it. Your marriage can rise above that. You can have dominion over the attacks, the things that seek to tear your marriage down or tear it apart, and he will help you. That is the promise of Scripture. All right, I'm going to stop there. Uh, we'll open for questions, but I want to give a qualifier. Uh, only married people, and uh, I don't want you to ask personal questions about your marriage, right? Pastor, he does, and is that okay? If you want to ask a general question on my lesson, I'll answer it. If not, uh, then we'll, we'll break early for the morning service. If there's something I can clarify for you this morning. I have to say that because, you, you know, it happens in Bible study sometimes, right? I did that whole series on conflict, right? You remember that, right? People are like, well, pastor, some people... Okay, we're not doing that this morning. So, <laughs> uh, If you have a question about the lesson, raise your hand. If not, we will move on. Okay, Shannon. Pastor, just a quick one. Um, really appreciate your lesson. Obviously, we live in a society where uh, we would call it the feministic movement. Okay. Um, I just want for you to shine some light and give wisdom as far as, um, you know, let's say for instance, you, you hear the statement that, that is made of how people was taught when they grew up to say, you know what, a woman is more than just her opening up her legs and being a mother and being a housewife and, 
And uh, I mean, yes, that's a good statement, especially the opening up of legs for a young girl to say, listen, flee youthful lust, don't let the world suck you in. And, but now when someone moves with that into their marriage, what wisdom do you have? And just to shine light, just... That's, that's bigger than the scope of this lesson. So, yeah, I, I will decline from answering that question this morning. There was a hand here. Was it Michelle? wanted to say that um, a couple of weeks ago you did a lesson on um, communication. I uh -huh. wasn't in the lesson. Okay. Michael was here. And so the following day, Michael comes to me and he says to me, you know what, we just need to talk, which we do. We, we, we have a great, we communicate fantastically. But that specific day, we just sat down and we spent the whole day talking. Mm. And it was amazing because based on what you were teaching, he was telling me what you had taught. And we just ended up spending the whole day talking. And we actually, we always say we're great friends, but something broke. Mm. Spiritually, something actually broke that day. And yeah, I think that one of the things that we as people don't understand is that the communication bit, the, just the talking bit, right. um, makes all the difference. Yes, absolutely. And it applies in every arena of marriage. Very good. We're going to break in a moment next week. Uh, I'm going to continue this a series, uh, 9 a.m. We're going to break service.